And so as we start a new message series this morning, we're in the book of Philippians, a book that I love. And the name of the series is entitled Moving Forward. And so we're going to be looking at that very thing, pressing, moving, growing in our faith and our relationship with Christ and being transformed as he promises us. Now, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, right? And around 62 AD. And he's writing, Paul is writing from a prison in Rome. And he's writing to encourage these Christians here in the church that he helped begin. He began he helped begin this church in Philippi, and he's encouraging them to grow, to look to Jesus as the goal, as the standard. And Paul also will go on to share his own story, his own, his own story of temptation and persecution. He knows that there are trials in this life, his own story of transformation. But the way to live life to the fullest with meaning and purpose, and Paul knows this, is to fully surrender to Jesus and grow in your faith. So we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 1. The, the text will be on the screen. You can also follow along. Uh-oh, I'm destroying this microphone, so sorry. Um, you can also follow along if you have a device or a book. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, you may be, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this letter this morning that you have protected and gotten to us so that we might read these words of Paul and words to us from you. Lord, speak through your spirit this morning. May we learn, may we change, may we be doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this morning is More and More. The center of Paul's prayer here that we see in this passage was for the church and for us was to abound more and more, this progression. Now, Philippi is an interesting place religiously. Like many of the Roman uh, province, it was, um, it was very um, polytheistic, right? They worshiped many gods. And also, one of those gods was the emperor. It was called the, the uh, imperial cult. And this was where the emperor was worshiped as God and Caesar himself claimed to be Lord and Savior. And so they had all kinds of ceremonies and proclamations, um, everything in, in uh, worshiping 
the emperor. In chapter 1 here, he begins with this typical greeting of grace and peace, and he includes some encouragement for these Christians. See, this group of people had a special place. You can can see that in the the text. They had a special place uh, in Paul's heart. This is the first church that uh, Paul began in what is present-day Europe. And in Acts chapter 16, I don't know if you know or are familiar with this uh, story, but there's a story there of Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi. And they are worshiping and praying, and all of a sudden, the, the doors swing open, the chains fall off, and they're released. And they have the opportunity, because the jailer's freaking out, they have the opportunity to witness, to tell him about the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And he gets saved, and take him home, and the whole family gets saved. And then it says that they went to the brethren, to the church, to this church, these Christians, and were ministered to and encouraged. And so he's grateful for them. We see that in that passage. He says, I thank God all my remembrance. He's remembering. He's remembering and and making prayer with joy. He says, I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So they mean a lot to him. And so we come to verse 9 in this passage, and Paul is praying for or sharing with them what his prayers are for them. And this is where I want to spend our time focusing this morning. See, even even though Paul recognizes them as faithful partners, as good Christians, as a solid church, his prayer for them is not simply that they would be blessed, right? Not that they would just have no sickness or no financial burdens, He didn't just pray for protection from the brutal Roman regime. He's not praying that they would avoid hardships. What he's praying for is for growth, that they would grow in their faith, that they would abound more and more because Paul knows that the greatest blessing, the greatest benefit to themselves, to each of us this morning, to our friends and neighbors and family, to our church, is to grow and by walk with Jesus. That is most important. And so as we press into what Paul is praying here for these Christians, we see what it means for us to grow. And so what does it mean to grow in our faith and in our relationship with Christ? First, it means growing in love. He says right there in verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Like I said, this church had already shown him love. That could be a little offensive, right? Thanks for all you did, but you guys need to love more. It's like, well, wait a minute. No, what he's saying is you're not there yet. None of us are there yet. His desire was that they grow. They abound in love more and more. You know what I'm finding as we went through the book of 1 John and we go through all these letters in the New Testament? I'm seeing this theme of love coming back over and over again. And to be honest, there's a part of me, you know, I start out with Philippians. I'm like, yes, God, yes, we'll, we'll go through this book. And right off the bat, he's talking about love again. I was like, we get it, right? It just seemed, okay, he's going to talk about loving again this morning. But I realize God is saying something to me. God is piercing my heart this morning because love seems to be the theme, not only of scripture from the beginning, but also of mankind. You look at our story, you look at the, the, the headlines all the time, you look at all that we've gone through in the history of, of man. Love is a, is a constant desire, at least. The language of the gospel, God's message to you and me, the currency with which 
God demonstrates with which he spends on us is love. And the most clear echo of him in the world is love. It's at the core of how we were created. Even, even the most hardened atheist this morning, one that, uh, someone who would believe in, in, in um, you know, relativism or, or that there is no ethic or moral, everybody would say hate is bad. The opposite of love, right? We, we can agree that there's something there. There's an echo of God, this love. Of course, the song I shared with you guys before, and I, I hum all the time, especially when I'm preaching on love, is what the world needs now. It's the only thing there's just too little love. So God keeps coming back to it in the scripture. We're going to keep coming back to it. So why is love such a big deal? Well, first of all, because God is love right? 1 John 4, 7 and 8. We just went through this book. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Because it's with love that you and I were created, right? It's for love that we live and breathe. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. When God put you together and me together, when he wired you, when he created us, he did so with love and affection. You and I have been shown love. The gospel is a demonstration of God's love in our brokenness and lostness, right? And the motivation is love for God to pursue you and to pursue me. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, we are loved. You are loved this morning. You may say, well, I'm kind of in between relationships now or maybe, you know, I don't know, my family, this. No, no, listen. You are loved by God who created you, who knit you together together. He loves you and is pursuing you in his love. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. All of that is flowing from God's love, from who God is. And because of God's love, we can love one another. And we are called to love one another, right? Remember when the rich young ruler came to to Jesus and said, what's the the number one commandment? Jesus answered Matthew 22, verse 37. He says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets all the prophets. Jesus said, what's the most important thing? Love. It's God's design for us to love God and to love one another. Everything else is secondary. And first of all, we just kind of blow past that first part. The first thing is to love him, to grow in that love. That's what Paul is saying. When he says, my prayer is that you would abound more and more in love. First thing he's talking about is their love for their savior, their love for their father, And secondary, which cannot be separated from it, we'll see as we go along here, is loving 
one another. But the number one thing for you and for me this morning is do I know the love of God through Christ Jesus? And Christian, am I growing? Am I abounding more and more in my love for him? Well, how do you grow in that love? Well, this, is a, this, this, isn't, a, this isn't a period. He puts a comma there. He says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So we're to grow in love, but we're to grow in understanding. That love must be driven by understanding. It must be true love. See, the religion of Jesus' day had a kind of knowledge. They worshiped knowledge to a certain degree. But it was not knowledge of God. It was not understanding the Lord more because it produced hatred and pride. It was head knowledge of religious things, but not relational understanding of who God is and his love for them, his love for me. It was centered on self and so Paul is talking about a love here that is in understanding. It's based in understanding. It's part of that same sentence, abound more and more in love with knowledge and discernment. Why do we struggle so much? Why is the world in such a mess when it comes to love? And we are in a mess. It's because we don't know what love is. Everyone's trying to define love for themselves. Love without true understanding or knowledge. Love is not what we say. If our heart is not changed, if we have not experienced true love, which is God, God is love, then we're just guessing. We don't know love. And we say a lot of things about love. All you need is love. Love conquers all, which it does. Love trumps hate. Love is love. There's a, there's a, somebody wrote on the wall down here near our apartment, and they just wrote, love, 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 love. Sounds awesome, right? What does that mean? If you look up love on the internet or look in a, uh, a book, again, uh, a dictionary, says something like a feeling of warm personal attachment. That's also the, the definition that the Domestic Violence Resource Center uses online as well, trying to help people find love. A feeling of warm personal attachment. What? What does that mean? It's got a temperature? It's warm, and we're all like, well, we know, you know what that's like, it feels. It's so vague. I read an article on Healthline, uh, the website, and it was talking about what toxic love is and not toxic love. And this is how they determined how you find that out. Your relationship may be toxic if it is characterized by behaviors that make you feel unhappy. That was the very first line. In a healthy relationship, everything just kind of works. Gee, thanks for the help. What does that mean? And it is heartbreaking 
It is heartbreaking because right outside these doors, even in these doors, there's a search for love and acceptance and we want to know true love. It's how we were created. Yet we're, we're fighting in the dark. This feeling, if I feel unhappy, the problem with that is I feel different today than I did yesterday. This morning I rode the subway. I feel different than before I got on that subway. Have you heard the saying, the heart wants what the heart wants? That's so cute. And I believe that. I could buy that. But here's what the Bible says about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Gee, thanks for the sunshine, Steve. There's good news because God removes the heart of stone, the sick heart, and replaces it with a heart of flesh, a heart that desires what God desires. Love begins with understanding true love. To love is to know and understand the source of love. So in our human definition we love, uh, of love, we always miss the mark. We always will because it's based on how I feel. And the way I feel is different every day. The way I feel is affected by a lot of things. And if my, my understanding of love and being loved is based on how I or you feel, then I'm going to be in a constant state of heartbreak. The kind of love that you and I were created for and the love that Christ loves us with is defined. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a beautiful passage of scripture here in ver beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Listen, you will not find that in the world. There's a lot of good things in the, yeah, I get, yeah. That is not in the world. That is the love, though, that you are loved with by God. That's the kind of love he loves you with. This love is not patronizing. It's not manipulative. It's not self-serving. It's not even always comfortable. But it looks like Jesus because it is Jesus in me. It's not manufactured. So to have understanding, to love with knowledge and understanding means I need to understand who God is. I need to understand how he sees me. He sees me as sinful apart from Jesus. He sees me as broken and weak. He doesn't act like I'm perfect and not broken. See, we think that is the answer. That's our solution in our culture and in our society and in the world, is to act like you're okay, I'm okay. It's all good. That's why we struggle in figuring out how to love one another because to know love is to know faithfulness. It's to know grace, which makes no sense if I got it all together. It's to know sacrifice and perseverance. All of that is found in Jesus and in his love for me. It's a beautiful picture if I dare to see the whole thing. 
Remember the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. I'm the chief. There was no sugar coating it. And yet I was shown grace. Wow. Real love, true love that comes from God results in humility. It results in a humbleness. Like I've been married, we've been married 33 years. I cannot understand why my wife would stay with me. I'm broken. I fail over and over again. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the grace, by her grace and love for me. That's, that's what love produces, a humility, not I deserve this. If I think I deserve it, then I don't understand love. That is a godly love. Now, we love the idea of being loved that way as I read through that 1 Corinthians passage. Being loved like that is beautiful. But for me to love that way, you know, in today's world, that, that could even be considered the toxic. I mean, think about it, that 1 Corinthians passage. Love, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Come on, don't be gullible. Don't get walked on. Don't put someone else's needs above your own needs. And you may say, well, yeah, there is some truth. Listen, first and foremost, if I know the love of God, we're going to get that to that in a minute. If I'm pouring my life into knowing his love for me, then he gives me wisdom and discernment, he says in this passage, to be able to tell what's excellent and what's not. Part of the problem that we're so broken and we have so many dysfunctional relationships is because we're, we're going at it alone without God. It's not that you put yourself in those situations. It's that you love first and foremost God. He demonstrates that love to you. He, you grow in that love for him and his love. You understand his love for you. And then you can love the way you're created to love. It's interesting in that passage, he says, love does not envy or boast. Love produces a humility. Because what, what boasting does is it says, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished without any help, without you. And that's really what we're saying to God. Look what we've done without you. So to know this kind of love, this true love, and to grow in it is not also, it's not just to say, you know what? Fine, I'll just declare it. I'm going to love more. That's it. When I leave today, I'm just going to love more. You can't just declare. It's like that office scene, you know, where Michael declares bankruptcy. I declare bankruptcy. doesn't work that way. Same thing with this. I'm going to love more. That's not how it works. This is what the world around us will try to do, though. Let's make a campaign. Let's do a media blitz. Let's make T-shirts. Let's put pressure on one another to love each other, at least say loving things to each other. The problem is that's not who we are. Apart from Christ, you don't love well. If you don't love Jesus and know his love for you, you're not loving well. That's just the bottom line. Apart, apart from an understanding and experience of the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ, we're just making it up and we see that in the world. 
1 John 4, 9, this, this book, this letter that we just got finished with says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Ears perked up. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He said, this is love. Any sentence, any description of love that doesn't start here is lacking, is off base. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. And so to love in the way we are created to, make, to, to, to love is that we must first Start at the source, the fountain of what love is. And you may say, well, you know, I don't really know. Okay, I love God. I don't, you know what? That's, a, that's, a, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, you, you need to come closer. There's much more to this love. There's much more to this relationship with me than you understand right now. Come closer. I have more to show you, more for you to know and understand. And we should be growing in this. He said, whoever does not love does not know God. So to grow in this love is to be informed. It's clearly defined. It means daily bringing my life more and more in line with the word of God and the spirit of God, listening and obeying. So if you're having a hard time loving this morning others, I'm not talking about the people that are easy to love, that kind of fit your paradigm of what's right and what's wrong. I'm talking about the people that don't in your life then love Jesus. The answer is not in trying harder, it's in pressing closer to Christ, nurturing that relationship in your life. And in that, we, he gives us discernment. He says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. I talked about this before. Some of us can, can leave wreckage everywhere we go in relationships. saying hurtful things, doing hurtful things because we're doing it out of our own flesh. We're doing it in accordance with what makes me feel good and what I think is best for me. Instead of focusing on Christ, we focus on self. We focus on the culture, what the culture says. And so we stay in a state of not being able to, to determine what is excellent. These are promises here that we would be able to Determine what is excellent. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I said you can't just declare it, right? Growing and understanding God's love, the Spirit transforming me into the image of Christ. He says down in verse 18, which we didn't cover today, but he says, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is not worried about the people around him doing the right thing. Listen, if you're only concerned about people who agree with you or say what you think is correct or is right, and for you to be able to love and to grow in your love, you're never going to get there. It's the Holy Spirit working in my life in a supernatural way. And so it's getting in the Word. It's coming to the Lord every day saying, God, change me. Help me to know your love for me more and more. There's a reason that love is the first on the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, right? Paul is telling these Christians in Philippi, you got more to do. You have more growth when it comes to loving, when it comes to understanding. And he's calling us to that today. So what does this love look like? It looks like holiness. It looks like holiness. 
He says there in verse 10, he continues, you know, you see how this, this is all linked together. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is a sequence. Holiness is, again, not something I declare over myself. It is something that grows from my loving relationship and walk with the Lord. There's no shortcut. It flows from that. See, because without this process of loving God and pressing into Him and His love and, and making that relationship the center point of my life, what holiness becomes is legalism, right? And what legalism turns into is hate. We see that in our culture as well. We just make a list. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. But it's not flowing from a personal relationship, a loving relationship with Christ. It's flowing from my mind and the things. This is what you do in legalism. I take the things that I think I can do or get close to, and I hold those up as holiness. And the things that I can't really do, I, I tend to leave those on the side and don't address those. You know, Jesus talked about that, the log in your eye and the we, that's how we start doing that in legalism. And so it's not enough just to have religion, not enough just to try and go by the letter of the law. It flows from this walk, this abounding more and more my love for Christ. And I don't want to confuse holiness for righteousness, right? In Scripture, holiness is a state of my character, while righteousness is a state of my position. We are righteous our position is righteous, justified in Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, that settles it. We stand before God one day. He'll say, well, well done, good and faithful servant. Romans 4, 5. But to the one who believes in him, Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So we are justified. We're not talking about righteousness. We are in good standing with God. But holiness is the living out of that righteousness in my everyday life. Holiness is being an effective tool in God's hands in the world. 1 Peter 1.15 But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is how I demonstrate righteousness in my life. Holiness is saying no to sin and yes to the Spirit. Yes to love and grace and mercy. It is listening for and obeying the voice of Christ in my everyday life. And listen, here's the good news. <clears throat> this is all a work of God in your life. It is all Jesus working this in your life. He said at the beginning of this passage, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So it's not harder work for you. It's simply more Jesus. Pressing into he who began the work. Pressing into he who will complete the work. That's what holiness does in me. It makes pleasing Jesus first and foremost. And when I'm seeking to please Jesus, first of all, then I can love you well. My dad told me one time, the best thing I can do for my kids is to love their mother well. Because on that foundation, you can build a home. They'll, they'll have safety. They'll feel encouraged. They'll feel confident. It's the same way in our relationships. First and foremost, 
the thing that we can do to affect the world the most is to love Christ first and foremost in our lives and allow Him to work through us. Listen, set, set loving Jesus at the center point of your life. And that means make time to get in Scripture. And if your first inclination is, oh, here comes the legalism, it's not. But that's a sign of some callousness in your heart. Get before the Lord. Your life is His. Get before Him in prayer and in confession and seeking Him out in the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. Grow in your love. Put Him at the center. Paul's prayer for all of us and what God is saying is that we would grow more and more in living the life of purpose and meaning and joy that He's created us for. And that is found with Jesus at the center of it. And the result of all this is joy. You can see, Paul is praying with joy. He says there in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. His prayer is fueled by joy because he, he knows the journey. He knows the answer is in Christ. Remember Jesus said, Jesus was talking about loving one another. He was talking about walking in love in John 15. And in verse 11, he said, These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's talking about walking in love. If the joy is drying up in your life, it's love. Press into Jesus. This is so critical. Listen, as I mentioned at the beginning, the world is clamoring for love. Broken, hurting. The result of fallen, a fallen imitation of love in all of our lives. And in the various de degrees and situations and circumstances, God's heart is broken. And it's because of His love that He sent Christ that we might walk in that. So this morning, listen, <clears throat> the calling is not more religion. It's not working harder. It's not more work. It's not more service in the community. It's not even loving people more and sinning less. That's not the focus. The prayer of Paul and the message of this passage this morning is to trust Jesus and to love Him and walk in His love more and more. And in doing so, we will grow in love and our ability to love and our ability to determine excellent things, our discernment of how to live life. That is the number one thing in your life today. Because what we see, it's not about like the relationships with one another. Those are beautiful things and those are results. Those are, those are God's desire for us. But all of that is secondary. What we do is we turn it upside down and we, we want God in how he relates to these relationships. That's not how it starts. We start by pressing into him. Lord, we're his bride. Press into him. Love him more. Seek to understand his love for you more. He is active in your life by his spirit. And the question I have for you this morning, are you changing more and more? Are you abounding in love more and more? Not in the good things you do, not in all those other things. In love for Jesus 
and therefore in love for those around you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that when I think I've got it all figured out when it comes to anything, you correct me. When I think I've got love figured out, Lord, you draw me deeper. God, to know you more, to experience your love more deeply in my life, to not just know about it with head knowledge, but to, to be vulnerable to it, to trust in it. God, help us to walk with you this week. God, may we press into our relationship with you first and foremost. May we spend time in the word and time in prayer, seeking to know you more, seeking to, to understand you more, God. And so that when we are spending time with one another, we're greeting one another with songs and psalms and spiritual songs where we're just walking in the grace and love of our King in the world is the beneficiary of it. They will see Jesus in our lives. God, may the only banner that we carry be the banner of surrender to you every day. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.